0: 2022.
1: This is your host, Mike Abadir, on The Mike Abadir Show, of course. Hope everyone is having a great week thus far. And hopefully, we got a great sports weekend to come that could match the intensity and the craziness of last weekend. Let's get right to the Kentucky Derby because that's where the fireworks were. It was an absolute shocker of a result. Rich Strike entered the Derby as an 80-to-1 80, 80 long shot in a field of 20 and surprised the world, shocked the world. Now, keep in mind, guys, when you're talking about Derby winners and you start looking like a pedigree's, the sire and the dam and, the you know, you, you go back all the way to... Seattle slough or secretariat on one side or whatever. When you, when, when these owners are scouting out or like when guys that are established as, as, uh, you know, great. I'm almost good to analogize to like a recruiter, like, um, like John Calipari or like a Rick Pitino or Mike Trzeski. These guys can evaluate probably like junior high and high school kids and be able to project what they're going to look like by the time they get into college. They could probably also project which guys, you know, could potentially make the NBA. Same thing in horse racing. That's what, that's what these guys do that are looking for, you know, the stars of the future, the next crop. They go to these sales like the Keeneland sale or any of the sales that are around the country. They have these auctions and they, you know, they bid on the pedigrees that they like, you know, at the yearling sales. They have two-year-old sales as well. And sometimes these numbers get astronomical. Sometimes these horses, you know, will go into the, not just the hundreds of thousands, but even into the millions. Now, I lay that out because Rich Strike as of just a few months ago, you or I or any listener out there, could have picked up the Kentucky Derby winner for thirty thousand bucks <laughs> thirty thousand dollars i mean that 's like a lottery ticket if there ever was one, right because it's the gift that keeps on giving you know once you 're a derby winner then uh that horse is gonna have a nice post-race career as a stud, right? He just gets to do his thing, enjoy his uh, horse, as a you know, manhood, I guess it'd be horsehood, right? Enjoy, Enjoy all those hot female horses for the rest of his life. And his owner's getting paid for his Kentucky Derby winning horse To fertilize other horses. How about that? Historical context here. The Derby has been run. For 148 years. The only longer shot. In the Kentucky Derby. Was in. 1913. So the $2 win bet. On Rich Strike would bring you back 163, so it's like eighty to one, plus your two bucks for the two dollar win bet. Donna Rail in 1913 paid 184.90, so what is that like ninety one to one? 1913. I don't even know what the field size was back then, or 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 anything. But the bottom line is. This was an enormous long shot. Now, it's it's kind of funny to me because a uh over the weekend I was talking to my cousin Will, and he was telling me that um, hey, in in the show which was a week ago, the Kentucky Derby preview show, or what was supposed to be a Kentucky Derby preview show, he's like, Man, me and, and my buddy from work gathered around, listened, and we're You know, waiting and waiting and waiting for your Kentucky Derby analysis and picks. Last week we had Keeneland Dan on, the doctor, and and that is Dan Cronin. And we went race by race for most of the stakes races on the Friday Kentucky Oaks card and then on Saturday the Kentucky Derby card. Well, I'm a talker. Keeneland Dan's a talker. So by the time we actually got to the Kentucky Derby, we had like one minute left before closing the show. So all this hype for the Derby uh, preview show and come here, listen to our analysis and all these things that we were uh, talking about, talk about for weeks leading up to it and beginning of the show and. And all the social media stuff and everything. and then and then when we get to the main event, we spent about 45 seconds on it, barely. No analysis, gave out some names and numbers, and then closed the show. So this is a partial apology for that for last week. But I'll tell you this much. I didn't have Rich Strike. Anything spent more than 45 seconds was going to be a complete waste. So it it didn't even matter. And that's a funny thing. When I was looking through social media, just at reactions from casual horse players to the major handicappers, some of the reactions are really funny because some people were like, man, I studied every day. My racing form is marked up with highlighters and pens and different colors and color coding and I watched race replays of all of the horses multiple times and then I I studied the uh, this week and last week's uh, you know track workouts for the horses and looked up the comments from the trainers to see kind of if I can catch any Nuggets of information from them or if they're playing, you know, if they have like a poker face going or or whatever the case may be. And it all went up in flames in uh, two minutes and change. <laughs> very, very, very few people had rich strike. But if you did, you were awarded handsomely on any wager that you could have done. Win, play, show, exact doubles, pick threes, pick fours, pick fives, you name it. And I mentioned Keeneland Dan earlier. He was with a, 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 one of his buddies who hit on that, played a pick five. They were together watching it all unfold, and he pulled down the $110,000 pick five. So good for him. Good for Dan's buddy. I think his name is Huey. Uh, but that was one of the, the few tickets that I saw online, which are really, really impressive. Now, where do we go from here? Well, Rick Dawson, owner of Ridge Strike, today put out a statement saying that they are not going to run this horse in the Preakness. I repeat, they will not run the Kentucky Derby winner, Ridge Strike, in the Preakness. Now, according to them, their plan all along was if we didn't run in the Derby, we would point toward the Preakness. If we did run in the Derby, subject to the race, uh, excuse me, race outcome and the condition of the horse, we would give the horse more time to recover and rest, and then run in the Belmont. The plan was to give the horse five or six weeks rest between races. So they're saying that's the plan all along. The The plan going into the Derby was to do this exact thing. So that's what they're doing. So uh, before it used to be a given, you know, you win the Kentucky Derby, you're going to run in the Preakness. But in the last few years, we've seen that uh, Country House and disqualified winner Maximum Security skipped in 2019. Um mandaloon who was elevated to the 2021 derby after medina spirits tested uh, positive uh, for a substance not allowed on race day also did not run for preakness the horse i just mentioned by the way medina spirit that's what gave rise to the bob baffert suspension that's been in the news and was very very newsworthy um you know during derby week because baffert's mainstay in the kentucky derby and he wasn't there this year. wasn't allowed to. He was kicked out. Suspended. So uh, that doesn't mean that he didn't have his hand on the race in some way, shape, or form. Because two of the horses from his barn that he had to transfer over to another trainer ran in the Kentucky Derby. Um, one of them ran okay. The other one not particularly well. Messier, the Canadian red horse, uh, didn't run very well. Taba uh, ran decent. It'll be interesting to see what they're doing with Taba next. Uh, Messier, I saw a comment by a, uh, a Twitter commentator saying his connections might want to consider pursuing the Canadian Triple Crown because it's a Canadian. But, so I thought that was kind of interesting. So we'll see what. And that, that's the beauty of all this, is all the different storylines and subplots as. If you're looking at it like, kind of like wrestling, as an example, the more you get to know the characters involved, the more you can get into it. Or that's what I'm told, at least, because I'm not a big fake wrestling, fake sport guy. I respect their athleticism. And I think that they've got a lot of creativity when it comes to the character development and... Storylines and all that kind of stuff, you know. I suppose if if I if I really really, you know, focused on on getting to know all the storylines, I'd be interested in it. But horse racing is very similar, you know. It's starts with the animal, but it doesn't end there, right? A lot of storylines, a lot of, you know, the connections between the outrider to the jockey and the trainer and the owner or owners uh, and the horse and the assistant trainer and between all of that there are plots and subplots and storylines that are very very interesting and when you're talking about 20 horses that's 20 additional stories times that many people and I bring that up because it makes it, for hardcore racing fans like myself, fascinating to see where all these horses are going next, how this all charts out. What is the plan? What is the course of action for this team? Or it could be considered a lot like uh, NASCAR or racing teams. This is another racing team. You know, you're talking about, you know, the number eight in NASCAR or whatever, you know, it's like here, it's the same, except they change numbers for every race but otherwise you know you have a racing team and they watch a video and they look back at the mistakes and make their halftime adjustments and come back ready to fire away and and you know as an organization they're uh trying to figure things out so they could get to the winner's circle it's no no different than than many other team sports um so that's kind of why I spent some time on on maybe talking briefly about what's next and where some of these horses may end up. Um, it's always good when all the horses come out healthy. And as far as I know, everyone came out uh, doing really well. So thank God for that. So I could go on and on and on about the Kentucky Derby and what's to follow, but what I'm going to do is, I'm going to save that for when the Preakness field is set. So, for this sh- save, uh, for next week's show, same time, we will be at, on the eve of the Preakness because there's only two weeks in between the Derby and the Preakness. So, we're already entering the first weekend. So, one week um, by the time next Thursday rolls around, we will have been two weeks. So uh that Thursday, a week from today, it'll be the eve of the Black Eyed Susan, which is the uh race for the uh for the girls on on Friday. Um and then and then the boys will be running on Saturday for the Kentucky Derby. I'm not sure if you're allowed to say boys and girls anymore, are you? I have a few friends that are teachers that told me that uh their schools have warned them that they need to use more in- inclusive language. Um so I guess uh, let's uh, let's let's work on that here and say um the horses. <laughs> See, this is an inclusive inclusive show. We're we're very woke here, even when it comes to uh, horse wokeness. <laughs> I'm obviously just getting anybody that knows me knows I am far from woke. Anyways, I don't want to get myself into trouble talking any politics or anything like that. So, let's stick with sports, right? That's what you're all saying. Stick to sports, Mike. The NBA. Anybody who listens to this show knows I am not a diehard NBA fan. But I do appreciate the playoffs and a a good series. You know, um, competitive series is... Et cetera and I think we got them right because unless I'm, I'm I'm missing something Milwaukee leads the series over Boston three to two three games to two Golden State leads the series over Memphis three games to two Miami Heat lead the series over the Philadelphia 76ers, three games to two. Phoenix Suns. I know a lot of the Voice America folks are rooting for the Suns. Phoenix Suns lead the series three games to two over Dallas. So every one of these series is is at three games to two. I don't know. Something tells me that they're all going to get to 3-3 and that they're all going to go 7-7. I don't know when's the last time that happened. It used to kind of happen a lot, you know, and people used to say, uh, you know, conspiracy theory type stuff like, oh, the NBA or Major League Baseball always makes them go all seven for the revenue, for the TV, for blah, blah, blah. But um, I think we may see it this year. And I think it's because it's competitive. I don't think it's for the revenue. I don't think NBA is making them do anything. I don't think there are any teams that are told, hey, you need to lose so that, you could play additional games to make us more money. No, I don't think so. So um, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the series has been really, really good. And like any playoff series, you're going to see teams that give up big leads. You're going to see comebacks. You're going to see officiating decisions that you completely disagree with. Um, You know, reffing that destroys the momentum for a team or that could have won it or lost it for a team we'll get into more about that in a minute because i do have some thoughts and theories about officiating and the playoffs in the nba but we need to take a quick commercial timeout. stay with us we will be back for more nba talk and then we're going to spend the rest of the show talking about major league baseball we've got the red sox and orioles insider matt corey He'll be joining us shortly, and we will get to the AL East and probably a little NL West talk, too, since those seem to be the two best divisions. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be right back after this.
0: stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com this is the mike abadier show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 Or send an email to Mike at themikeabedirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: We were just talking about the NBA and NBA playoffs. And we always hear about how the playoffs are officiated a little bit differently. And my question to you guys is why? Why do the refs all of a sudden change the way they referee a game? How they enforce the rules and regulation of the National Basketball Association? Never really understood that. Now, most of the time, aside from a call or two or three or four that the team that's penalized or, or the team that didn't get the call or the fans are usually upset about. A lot of times what you'll hear from the head coaches is that if you look at the stat sheet, this team went to the foul line, you know, whatever, 38 times. And we got to the foul line only 17 times. It becomes a very big point of emphasis in the playoffs and I think there's a lot of gamesmanship involved in uh, in why the the coaches will spend so much time in the press conference afterwards talking about it. You know, maybe they're planting a seed for the uh, refs that next game out, you know, put us on the line more. Uh, you know, put them on the line less. But what do, what do you guys think about the, the whole concept of of playoff officiating um for me unless it's see here's the thing if the philosophy is i think this is what the philosophy is how about that i'm gonna give you my theory i think what the nba attempts to do is let the players or at least this is what they say right let the players on the court determine who wins and loses not the referees okay so far so good agreed so we're going to let them play we're going to let them play we're not going to we're not going to we're not going to referee this playoff matchup really really tight like, we're going to let some things go that we wouldn't let go in the regular season. Why? Or what's the underlying philosophy behind this? And that's where my theory comes in. I think what the NBA tries to do is, you know, for the most part, use the 82 games to establish the rules that they want to, you know, enforce and have them almost like tighten up the ship for the regular season so that by the time the playoff series is begin, by the time the playoffs start, these teams are so well aware of what the rules are that you see better played games, meaning you don't have to call as many fouls because they've been conditioned on not fouling as much because we managed it in such a manner that it was, you know, tightly called during the regular season. So now we could let them play a little bit. We could kind of back off a little bit because it's almost like they've been trained to play basketball in a manner that has uh, not just good game flow, but without as many penalties or plays that maybe um, detrimentally impact shooting or uh, things of that nature. Of course, anything safety related is going to be called, Um, but that's not a huge issue in the NBA. Um, But, you know, for anything non-fight or fight-related or fighting, uh, you know, technicals, we're going to try not to. But at the same time, we've seen technicals get called every single year. I.e., Draymond Green and guys, you know, mi- are missing substantial portions of of ball games. So, which is it? Is it we're going to let them play in the playoffs? Is it we're going to, you know, referee a little bit differently in the playoffs? I'd be curious to see what you guys think. Because I'm sure there's a few people out there that are like, that's a bunch of BS. They actually are more critical in the playoffs against my team. <laughs> that's usually what, what, how people feel, right? The refs are against their, their team. Oh, the refs, the refs hate, hate us. Refs hate the Warriors. Refs hate. The Mavs because of Mark Cuban. It kind of reminds me of uh, the Raiders, right? For so many years, the conspiracy theory was that the league is out to get the Raiders because they hate Al Davis. So it was any time that the league has an opportunity to, to give it to him, that they will stick it to him. That stuff is always kind of funny to me. So I kind of snorted there when I laughed, by the way. But nonetheless, good playoff series is so far. Uh, I think regardless, we're going to see good matchups in the conference finals. Like whether it's the Heat against Boston or the Heat against Milwaukee. It's going to be fantastic. Whether it's the 76ers against Boston or 76ers against Milwaukee, it's going to be fantastic. Now for me, I think the Sixers and the Celtics would be really cool because of their histories. But I think the Heat would be a little bit more exciting. I like their brand of basketball. I'd like to see the Heat and the Celtics, but that's just me. Obviously, if that happened, we do miss out on one of the greats and the Greek freak. I'd love to see Giannis also. Um, and the Western Conference, it's, it's same thing to a degree, because I'm not so sure that people want to see Memphis against the Mavs. But I do think that the Warriors against the Mavs would be super compelling. Maybe the old guard and the new guard, Luca and Steph, all time great against the up and coming superstar. And the Suns and Warriors are going to be, you know, a matchup featuring two of the powerhouses in the NBA. I think they finished 1-2 in the regular season, and so it would be fitting, right? Top two teams in the conference go up against each other. We will see, but no matter what, job well done to the NBA. I think they got matchups that they're happy with. I think no matter who gets to the finals, there's going to be some good storylines and some competitive basketball being played. It's definitely something that I could get up for. And like I said, I prefaced this at the beginning by saying I'm not a huge NBA fan. Anybody that that listens to this show knows we don't spend a lot of time talking about the National Basketball Association. But with that said, I have a great appreciation for the playoffs. And I start getting into it a little bit more once we get deeper into the playoffs because it's meaningful, it's competitive, it's exciting, every shot counts, all of that good stuff The you can uh, all the superlatives that you could throw out to describe the NBA playoffs um we're seeing it play out and like I said, if this is a coming out party for Luca on a on a national basis or global basis, uh I welcome it. I think any NBA fan has known how good he is for a while now. But trust me, if they get to the finals somehow, this guy's stock is going to be elevated big time. Especially on a global level. Cool stuff. We will see, by this time next week, we will know who are the teams that are playing for the conference finals and the right to go to the NBA finals. So, we'll, we'll save that discussion then for next week. We'll also have our Preakness preview show, and I promise to save more time for the Preakness this time. Most certainly more than the amount of time that was allotted for the Kentucky Derby. Now, with that said, let's transition over to Major League Baseball. We will be joined shortly by Matthew Corey. He covers the Boston Red Sox and the Baltimore Orioles. And he is an insider that is going to tell us maybe, maybe, why even though the Red Sox are 11-20, and 20, why there could be a cup's half full perspective as we move on during this regular season. But the Red Sox are, are, here's the thing. And we'll talk more about this with Matthew. So I don't want to spend too much time now and then having the same discussion again in a few minutes. But the Red Sox, if, if they didn't blow half as many saves, uh, they could be like a five hundred team. So, the first major issue that we can pinpoint is the closer role. The second one is the offense, because this should they should have the most potent offense in the American League. And right now, they have scored the least amount of runs in their division. I mean, even the Orioles have, have scored more runs than them. Tampa scored way more runs than them. Same with the Yankees. So, what's going on there? Is it just as the weather warms up, so will well, they're hitting? Now, we've got a couple of guys who are raking. Devers, killing it, as usual. Xander Bogarts, killing it, as usual. Uh, but that that's pretty much about it. <laughs> the rest of the team ain't hitting. We need to see Kike start hitting. J.D. Martinez... Definitely Trevor Story, Alex Verdugo, JBJ. We could go on and on and on. So we'll talk about that in a moment. I do want to shift over really quickly to the NL West. How amazing is the NL West this year? The entire division is over 500, folks. I don't know if I've seen that. 30 games in. In a really long time let's just say. I was going to say ever. Maybe ever. But in a really long time. I think there was a couple of years where like. Both central divisions. Were. Close to that. Or maybe they achieved that. You know fairly. Deep into the season. Or not deep but I mean. Not after the first week. You know three and three or something. But the difference here is that. Usually it's because the division is separated between a couple of games and you you have like, you know, like the Chicago Cubs at 15 and 14 and the St. Louis Cardinals with 17 wins and everybody else is in between. But that's not the case here in the NL West. We actually have top heavy teams like the Dodgers 20 and nine. Padres twenty and twelve, Giants nineteen and twelve. So all those teams are above six hundred uh, baseball. And then towards the bottom, you know the Diamondbacks playing good baseball. There are a couple of games above five hundred, and the Rockies are above five hundred. So it's not one of those things where you have a you know five teams that are jammed up there. Um, no, you're pretty much everybody's is is doing really well. I guess my point is. They're not all above 500 because a lot of times, 30 games in, when it's really um, close, competitive, tight, it's because everybody's kind of playing mediocre. So they're all right around 500 because they're inconsistent. They're not able to get on winning streaks. But that's not the case with the NL West. These teams are all crushing it. Getting great pitching. How about the Diamondbacks pitching? I mean, it is really, really... uh, To say it's a surprise would be an understatement. It would be a severe understatement. I'll save the rest after the other side of this next commercial timeout. But man, the NL West and AL East... They are delivering on the promise of excitement, that's for sure. So let's take our final time out. Stay with us. We'll be back with more baseball right after this.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever increasing prominence in today's society on All Around Sports host john inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world including players owners and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today john will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events tune into all around sports with john inglesby mondays at noon eastern time 9 a.m pacific on the voice america variety channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio
1: So we were just talking about the National League West and how every team is above 500 and and playing good baseball. They're all above 500, not because they're mediocre, um, because you actually have some top-heavy teams. We're not talking about a division that's all like, you know, 15 and 14. Like I was saying, you have teams that are above 600 winning percentage. Three of them in the National League West, um, and so what we could garner from that is that. It's a good division. Uh, The division we started off talking about was the AL East. And I told you I was going to save more for later because we have our guest, our expert guest here, Matthew Corey. He actually covers two teams in this division, the Baltimore Orioles and the Boston Red Sox. And if you would have had me put a wager on it at the beginning of the year, who would have the better record after 30 games? Boston or Baltimore? I would have said, "How much money you got?" Because I'm putting it all on Boston. But Matt, that hasn't been the case so far, buddy. And uh, you know, there there are some holes to kind of pick at. But first of all, Matt Corey, how are you?
2: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate
1: it. Absolutely. So Matt Corey uh, with Sox Outsider, you can check yes. him out at SoxOutsider.substack.com, as well as Be More Sports Life. Be More Sports Life. So, the Red Sox, let's start with them. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, I have two observations, and you tell me what you're seeing. My two observations are the closer role, if they didn't blow all these saves, they'd at least be a 500 team and not 11 and 20. Uh, the other thing is they're hitting. Aside from Xander and Devers, the team just isn't hitting right now. That, those are the two things that are obvious to me. Is there more to it? Is there more than meets the eye here? What are your observations? How do you uh, analyze this uh, Red Sox team 30 games in?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, the bullpen has been – it's an easy flashpoint, I think, you know, because there have been so many late-game blow-ups. But to me, that's not, you know, it's certainly not been great, um, but I, I think it, it would be a much smaller deal if they were hitting it all. You know, if they were scoring runs, if you're up 7-3, to three, you can give up two runs on the ninth and nobody remembers. You know, if you're up 2-1 to one and you give up two runs on the ninth, then that's, that's something everyone remembers. So, you know, to me, it's really it really comes down to, I mean, really to, to like three guys ultimately. Um, you know, they're just getting, uh, you know, next to no production from first base, um, you know, and and from from left field, um, and from center field. Um, you know, Dahlbeck hasn't hit at all, um, and he's not contributing defensively. He's made a number of sadly kind of brutal errors um that have uh you know cost the team runs in important spots um you know uh, um enrique hernandez has been dreadful uh just not not hit at all in center field uh he's one of the worst starting players in baseball and um and for verdugo and i think there is some you know there's some more advanced analytical, uh, you know, ways to look at the Dugo season, and, and you know he, he's making decent contact, and you know his launch angle isn't bad, and and um, he he's getting, you know, he's not striking out. He's he's not he's not having that bad a year that you would you know as bad a year as you would think by looking at the flash line, but you know the on the ground production just isn't there, and you know when you're running out at, uh, a lineup with uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., who you know was literally the worst regular <laughs> at the, at the plate last season in baseball. Um, and, uh, you know, Christian Vasquez, um, you know, you're, you're sort of turning over those positions in the, in the lineup to defense. Uh, and you're, you just can't afford to give away three other spots as well. Um, you know so you've got three guys on the team who are you know who are hitting, and then it's a bunch of you know automatic outs. After that the The other thing I haven't seen covered too much that that I've observed from the from the offenses that they're just even the guys who are hitting aren't really walking that much um and, you know this has always been a, a last couple of years been an offensively aggressive team at the plate uh and, and that works you know to a point when you're when you're getting hits and you're getting doubles extra base hits um but uh strikeouts, uh pop outs, um you know, it, there's been a lot of that and there's just not been enough um enough extra base hits to push guys over on you know, on base. Um there, the outs come quickly and the inning ends and that's uh it it's it's been a it's been a sad show. And I the other guy I didn't really mention is, is uh Trevor's story and and he's obviously had a real rough go of it. His first month plus in Boston, um, he did hit a home run the other day. He had a, a couple um, hard hit balls, uh, one which went for a, I think a double um, the, the day before that. So I I have every confidence that he's going to be fine. Um, I, I don't I don't worry about him too much. It, it's it's hard to deal with a slump. You know, when the whole team is slumping, <laughs> then then you start pointing fingers at the at the you know the big names. Um, but it, you know, if everyone else on the team was hitting in a reasonable level and Story wasn't, you go, oh, okay. Well, they're scoring runs, they're winning games. It's uh, it, it's not a big deal. He's you know Story missed spring training. He got food poisoning. His wife gave birth to their child. Um, he's changing positions. He's changing leagues these things might take some time to adjust to. Um, but when no one else around him is hitting, then all of a sudden, you know, you start pointing your finger at at, uh, at the, the star player with the big contract. So um, I don't know if that answers your question at all. <laughs> I hope it does. Yeah.
1: yeah, it does. I mean, here's the thing. You mentioned Trevor's story. You were talking about him just right now. And it's interesting that you, you, Spent some time on him because he's worthy of uh, discussion here after the big contract and how does he fit with the Red Sox and, you know, guys that play the same position recruiting him and all that stuff that we heard going into this uh, regular season. If I were to pinpoint a game that seemed to me to be like the, I'm not going to use the word turning point, but Things started spiraling to me when I look at, uh, because I watched it live when it happened. Their series in Tampa against the Rays, they'd already won Mm -hmm. the first game of the series. They were about to win game two, and then there was a really bad uh, Trevor story error that pretty much kept the Rays alive. The Rays ended up winning that game in extra innings. And the next day, the very next day, the Red Sox blew it late in the game again. That easily could have been a sweep. Uh, instead, yeah. they, they, they left Tampa having lost two out of three. And uh, since then, things have not been good. Speaking of extra innings, <laughs> by the way, they are 0-6 in extra innings. 0-6. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even yeah. if you win half of those, <laughs> right? i mean you're you're much closer to, to five hundred
2: yeah absolutely i mean I, I think I think there's a number uh, of things there you know um, I think you know especially you know us in the analytic community have a tendency to ignore the you know the the more human aspects of the game sometimes and uh, i won't I won't point at anybody but myself um, and I, I do think that there is something to be said for all the changes that story has gone, you know, that I just sort of outlined a moment ago. I, I think that could be tough on anybody. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the, he's, he's definitely made some progress over the past, you know, couple of weeks. Like you can see that, you know, the context, quality contact is improving. Um, you know, he looks more comfortable to me at second base. Um, you know he's able to to make the turn at, at um you know at second on the uh, on on double plays uh, a little more smoothly um you know he's a he's a really good athlete and you know he's certainly not a perfect player but i but i think that the i think the skills are going to translate and i i really do think that it's it's going to be uh it's going to be fine you know um he may not be a superstar. He, he may never have been a superstar. He had a couple superstar-level years. But, um, but, you know, it, the issue with contracts like that uh, is, is really more that something horrible goes wrong, and then you're paying all this money and getting nothing for it. Not really that you're paying all this money and getting something like 85% of what you'd hope for, right? Um, at least that you're fine. Right. if Trevor Story is eighty five percent of the player the team hopes he is, that's okay. Right? He can be a starting second baseman, um, feel his position, add a little bit of pop. Um, the team will be fine. It's not gonna it's not gonna destroy a season or, or multiple seasons. It's like the Carl Crawford deal when <laughs> um, that's you know, the, the Pablo Sandoval deal. Those are the things that get you fired.
1: Um Yeah, absolutely. And and by the way, just to kind of add to what you're saying over the years, I've always been really, really hesitant when it comes to, you know, projecting guys that have played half the games in their career in Colorado. Um, For me, if I'm a general manager, I would be very hesitant to give them big money. But I think what happened was this, Matt, I think because Nolan Arenado, uh, it, it looked like, Coors Field or, or Bush Stadium, it didn't matter. He's been raking. Trevor Story yeah. is a better athlete even than than Nolan Arenado. That maybe we can debunk that theory that these guys play better at home. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like when Larry Walker eventually left Colorado for St. Louis. Guy kept raking as well. You know, hey, we're we have. A safe bet in Trevor's story here, but the thing is, playing at Boston is not like anywhere else in Major League Baseball. You know, the, the guys are yeah, going to come here it, and press if they don't get off the hot starts.
2: It's it's definitely it's definitely you know tougher than some other spots, no question about it. Um, you know, I was just looking up Arenado because you're you're right; he's been absolutely crushing it. Um, if you look at his 2021 season, which is his first year in St. Louis, um, he really didn't have that great a year. He he hit 34 homers. but That's really about all he did. Um, batting average was way down. On base percentage was way down. Um, you know, for for the money he's making and and you know, the level of uh, you know star power that he he brings with him, he didn't
1: actually play that well. Um, and so are you are kind of saying, give Trevor Story some time to settle in.
2: Well, I mean, I think there is something to that you know and and you know you talked before about uh you know the issues with the altitude in uh you know in playing in denver and and you know people far smarter than me have looked at this and you know the course field doesn't actually add home runs but because it's so big it adds a ton of singles and doubles um but the the translation from going to Coors to going, you know, to going to St. Louis, or, 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 I mean, I'm just being as a as a member of the Rockies and like going to St. Louis and playing uh, playing games there. Like the Rockies hitters tend to do really well in in Colorado, but they tend to do way worse on the road. Like even as, as members of the Rockies, and I think it's it's really a difficult tra- transition to make to go from playing at, you know, uh, mile high altitude to going to play at sea level and then going back and going back and forth and back and forth. And I, I think it it might take some time to get that out of your system a little bit. Um,
1: sure. I mean, we'll obviously see,
2: you know, with story, how, how his season goes. Um, yeah, but, uh, but uh,
1: go ahead. Oh no, that's good to say. So we, we have less than a minute and a half before the close of the show. So I want to go back to the close for a quick second, the closer, there are six different players yeah. that have saves six different guys yeah. have are tied for the saves leader on the Red Sox with so one. I guess to close this out, no pun intended uh should Cora <laughs> stick with like Whitlock or somebody
2: i mean I think he, I, I i don't I don't know what the answer is um I think there's some guys in the minor leagues who might be able to help them. I think this is a fluid situation, uh, you know, and I I think that, you know, the issue has has been some, you know, problems in the rotation have caused them to move guys from the bullpen into the rotation. Um, That may reverse itself over the course of the season as, you know, hopefully guys get healthy. Sale, Paxton, the two guys who are out now, uh, you know, Hill and Waka. um, I think that, you know, you you maybe move some guys back into the bullpen as the, as the year goes on. You maybe bring some guys up from AAA. There's this sort of, you know, sorting, sifting through talent kind of thing. Um, and and uh, I, I would reiterate that I, I think this is less of a big deal than it would be if the team was hitting. Sure. You know? Well, um, for the sake of time here. It, it really shines a spotlight on it.
1: Oh, yeah, Exactly. You know, for the sake of time here because we got to close out the show, why do you give our listeners yeah. uh how they could follow you on social media?
2: Yeah. Um you can find me on Twitter at nattynatty2000 and you can read me at socks outsider which is my Substack. It's free to read, it's free to subscribe. Uh socksoutsider.substack.com.
1: Awesome. Matt, sorry to rush you. Uh we got time constraints here. Always love having you. Oh, good. Let's bring you back again so we can get to the Orioles because we didn't even talk about them, and, and they're giving their fans maybe some reason for optimism.
2: Yeah, it's been a, a little bit of an ex- exciting season, so thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Matt, thank you. Like always, love having you. We'll see you again soon. That is all the time we have for this week's show, folks. As always, thank you for listening. We will see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone.